Welcome to Convos from the Couch by Life Stance Health, where leading mental health professionals help guide you on your journey to a healthier, more fulfilling life. Hello, everyone. This is Convos from the Couch by Life Stance Health. I'm Nicolette Lianza, and on this episode, I'll be talking with Jared Whitmire a clinician from one of our LifeSense Oklahoma offices, and he'll be telling us all about psychodynamic therapy. So welcome, Jared. Great to have you on. Thank you. Thank you. I was thinking a lot about this episode, and I've come to understand that I wonder if a lot of people don't really know that there's so many other types of therapy that clinicians will practice. Like, most people probably know cognitive behavioral therapy and maybe even like dialectical behavioral therapy, but there's gestalt, there's humanistic. And so I think this is a great time that you'll be telling us more about another particular therapy, the psychodynamic therapy. So again, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Have, do you find that too, that people don't always know the differences between the different therapies? Yeah, I, I think it's a big thing about therapy because I think there's a tendency and no fault of the public at all. I think this is something important for therapists to, to bring kind of greater awareness of is that while we might have talk therapy, there's such an umbrella mm. of different therapies out there and different approaches to what we do in the talk therapy. And that's a great term, the umbrella for it, for sure. So look, we've already started our conversation, but let's have you tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, yeah, as you said, I'm a therapist here at LifeScience. And I've probably been practicing for, I would say, about five to six years professionally. I've worked in multiple communities and settings. I think for a while I've worked in, in rural Arkansas. I've worked in the metropolitan area of Greater Boston. Before coming back here to Oklahoma, where my real roots are, and to speak maybe outside of just professionally, I think I have a tendency to daydream a lot. And I like to speak and talk with others. And most of the time, you could probably find me either in the gym or spending time with my uh, my partner, who's uh, I'm always amazed by. She's a wonderful musician and artist. So, just to give you a little glimpse of me and who I am. Oh, that's great. That's great. Thank you. So we're jumping in here. Help us understand what is psychodynamic therapy and how it's different than other traditional forms of therapy, like even psychoanalytic therapy. Right. Yeah, so I, th I think even as we were discussing and progressing this episode before we agreed to, to meet and talk about this is it became apparent psychodynamic therapy in of itself is one of the talk therapies is yet another umbrella term that can encapsulate different approaches, but in its essence is another talk therapy, but it does have one huge emphasis and that is that our we're not always fully aware of our minds is that there's a great emphasis on there being an unconscious mental life, meaning that there are things or reasons that we do things that are not entirely in our awareness. And I think a big emphasis in dynamic therapy is that the relationship between a therapist and a patient really is at the crux and takes on great significance, not just in their being terms of an agreement and what we agree to work on, but the relationship itself is a, a testing ground, a window, an observational space where we can better 
come to understand ourselves and what goes on in that relationship really takes on a great significance in this therapy. And I would say that it's probably at the heart of it, along with there being kind of this, that there's things that we don't seem to always fully understand or know about ourselves. You know, what makes me think of the unconscious when you mentioned that, I think of undergraduate intro to psych, They'll do the old iceberg analogy where yeah. above the water, the iceberg, you're only seeing part of it. And that's like what maybe we're conscious about in our lives. And then underneath with icebergs, the majority of the iceberg is below the sea level there. And that's really where a lot of what we would see at the unconscious. So do you remember learning it that way as well? Yes, yes. I think that there's a good chance that if people listening, if they were to, to Google unconscious, the first image or so on there, you probably would see that the iceberg, but that is a, a good representation and a traditional understanding. And also your question kind of brings me back to that first question you asked me is that there is a difference between a psychodynamic and psychoanalytic, where I would say that the big differences there are that psychoanalytic is more of an intensive treatment and one that, you know, can, you might be going to see your therapist four or five times uh, a week, whereas dynamic therapy, while it has its roots in psychoanalytic thought, really was one or two times a week. But yes, that unconscious image, it, it brings awareness that there are things that, that we don't fully know. And to be honest with you, I, I rarely even, even when I'm working with patients, um, I, I don't necessarily say, oh, this is something unconscious. I might, okay. if we're talking to someone, we might just be curious about things and see, this seems like something could be here. Maybe there's something here, but it's always done in the realm of this relationship. And it's not this kind of hard authoritarian stance of you're not aware of this and this is what it is. Which is, I think, this is all about educating people to understand that a psychodynamic therapist might be like, that was unconscious. You didn't even realize it. It's not maybe that forthright yeah, that yeah. making a mark of it. Can you tell us more about the history behind this approach? Yeah, the history and another part of me is that's one of my favorite things is kind of understanding the history of just therapy in general. It's really rich. With dynamic therapy, I think that there is, uh, then, of course, it has its roots with Freud. And we all, I think most people, he's kind of, we're all aware of who Freud was. At, mm. at the same time, um, I think that to say that dynamic therapy started with Freud, that while that's true, it has grown and grown from there. In fact, many of, Freud started a school of thought. And it was that I did. There's things that we're not fully aware right. of. And, and he was the first to say, maybe we talk about this and maybe in the essence of talking, right. we can bring a greater awareness to that. Now we can critique Freud because a lot of his ideas and theories were really rigid, really kind of authoritarian. But in its essence, one thing that has remained true and has kind of stood the test of time is that there are things that we don't know, whether we're in a lab calling it implicit memory. Uh, or were in the room and noticing it happen. But in that school that Freud started, there was many different other clinicians that took his ideas and kind of went with them. Even the people that other therapists might be more familiar with, Eric Erickson, 
has a lot of stuff based in, in Freudian. And, and just to put in there, Eric Erickson is the, we look at the stages, right? So, boy, I'm forgetting what's like, <laughs> I'm actually forgetting some of the stages that Erickson came up with there. Initiative versus shame and doubt, like things like that. Yeah. Got yeah. you. He took that, I think you're spot on as he took that developmental. Developmental, um, that's it, yeah. And, right. and put it into more language that, that probably was a little bit more accurate uh, mm. and flexible with the realities of people. And at the same time, we had clinicians such as Rollo May, Claire Thompson, mm -hmm. Otto Kernberg, Eric Fromm, that really kind of expanded upon the psychodynamic mm -hmm. that became a Again, a school of thought that expanded upon itself. We might think of biology and think that, you know, this started with Darwin. Mm -hmm. um, it has grown, grown over time. But um, while it has its roots in Freud, it's, it's nowhere near what it, what it was. In fact, um, there's many different ways. That I, I would say today it takes on a more relational context. And the, uh, the sessions are, are not as frequent as they used to be. There's a huge emphasis on our ego psychology, object relationships, our mm -hmm. personality patterns, and this all kind of coalesces into a, a greater understanding, a model of looking at someone's mind and understanding them more fully. Uh, the, the history has expanded, and I think that today it's less and less about Freud and more and more about the relationship, what gets played out in that relationship, how is that issues around transference, defenses, also just developmentally, where's the person at? Uh, mm -hmm. I would say that's a big part of this uh, history and where we're on today. I do think this is such an important approach and I find that maybe a lot of psychotherapists coming out with their education maybe don't get exposed a lot to more than just an introduction to this approach. I think a lot of the emphasis I see is more like on the cognitive behavioral therapies and things like that. But I think this is an approach that is very important and very helpful. Hey, can you share with us some of the research behind the approach? Yeah, no, and I think that you're absolutely right. I think that CBT is a big emphasis in today, and uh, whether we're calling something a, a schema, which is a huge concept in, in the CBT, mm -hmm. or if we're calling it a, a, a transference. But, Can you go on a little bit more? In, I know we're going to talk about transference. Can you just talk a little bit more of what a schema is for those who might have never heard that term before? Yeah, of course. Uh, to say what transference is, it's not something that you know, occurs solely in, in therapy. And I think it, transference can be uh, looked at and examined at in therapy, but to say what transference is, I think it's specifically referring to the activation or pre-existing expectations, templates, scripts, fears, and desires that we, we might bring to us or with us into the therapy. I like to say to me, I relatively start most of my therapy sessions in the same way when I'm beginning with someone. I start in the same, what's on your mind? And one thing that you can notice in where we see transference is that people come into therapy with no other knowledge of you or of who you are, but it becomes apparent as the therapist that you might represent radically different people in the patient's mind. It, with transference, 
at least in dynamic therapy, that is the treatment. That is the understand that's not seen as an obstacle or something bad, but how can this, how this person might see me and how we might even be mutually influencing one another. How can that be used in a way to better understand both this person's history as well as uh, what gets played out in, in their relationships and its with symptoms. Um, so it's, 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 I would say the transference is probably at the heart of therapy. Yeah. Uh, uh, at least that when it comes to dynamic therapy, a schema or transference, it's all a better way of understanding this person, but right. it is the things that we put onto the other person. Yeah. We see them, how we view them, what you th- who you think they are. Right. That's the key. And I know I pulled you away from the question of nope. what was the research behind their approach. So I know there's a lot of good research behind this as well. Yes. Yeah. I think that there was a watershed moment when it came to dynamic therapy, because I would say therapy just in general is something hard to research. I think CBT lends itself well to, to research. You can manualize, operationalize these things. But I think as we've gone forward with the research, uh, especially when it comes to dynamic, is you really see equal efficacy uh, validity to these treatments is that they're just as equally effective as, as the CBT interventions are. And I think that um, one thing that has puzzled researchers and is just that most treatments, you have that dodo bird effect, is they are kind of producing similar outcomes. And it's so the question now seems to be what makes uh, these treatments that are, are maybe different in their approach, but what makes them equally effective. But to be specific to dynamic therapy, there is um, there has been attempts to manualize and operationalize these types of therapies. I think that there's a lot of good research coming out of um, people like Frank Yemens, whether we're talking about uh, transference-based psychotherapy, which is a manualized form of this approach, and it's specifically being used with uh, those with personality disorders. It seems really effective there. Or if we're talking about uh, mentalization-based therapy, which is another type of dynamic therapy, hmm. which has shown really good research into, in terms of people with borderline level of function okay. and increasing their level of reflective capacity. So it, there's uh, a lot of good research coming from those. Uh, another thing that with that paper that was kind of a watershed moment, I think, for dynamic therapy was there does appear to be uh, with this therapies that the change, whether we end the study at six months or whether we end the study in eight to 12 sessions, I think they're showing that the effect sizes are pretty good. This change seems to last and, and people tend to walk away from this treatment, maintaining the gains that they have made. So I, I think that that's a bit of a, a glimpse into the research that has been done with this approach. And it appears to look good. Uh-huh. Just Therapies that are doing well as well. Yeah, definitely sounds like the research is there for sure. Shifting gears a little bit, can you share with us a little bit about some of the misconceptions about dynamic therapy? I think there's a lot of different misconceptions with this therapy. I think that one is that it, it goes on and on, it lasts forever, or people have the understanding of dynamic therapy from that psychoanalytic perspective was that we're meeting with them four to five times a week. We'll say that, you know, it's not without merit that 
that therapy and maybe even dynamic therapy does last longer. But interestingly, I think that's true for most therapies. And I think there was a, a consumer report that was done that was a bit different. It asked directly patients what their thoughts and feelings about the change that occurred in therapy. And outside of the eight to 12 sessions that we see that we want to manualize the therapies, that real change across all modalities appeared to occur again at that six month mark. So I, I think that while therapy and maybe psychodynamic therapy has an idea that it lasts a long time. I think that there's growing evidence that a lot of therapies, at least when done in the real world with real patients, seems to last six months to yeah. a time or, or long. Yeah, key point. Yeah, and uh, key point. Mm -hmm. I, I think that even in that consumer report, people, uh, what I like about that and that research perspective is it's asking patients' perspectives on what meaningful change look like for them. Right. Um, and sometimes that isn't just the symptoms. It might mean that they are, are living life a, a bit more freer, that they feel more in control, or that they've come to know themselves better, is that they have more of what a, a dynamic concept is self-cohesion. They see themselves more fully. And I think that's an important thing is that just as much as we should be focused on symptom reductions, and that's what we do in research. Yeah. I think it's true that people come to therapy for a number of different reasons that might not just be solely focused on oh, where are my symptoms at today. Tell some more about its value and the benefits. The value and benefits with this approach, I think kind of gets at what I said at the, the end of that is, uh, I think at its core and something I've heard either through reading dynamic literature or other people that practice this approach is that at its core is kind of an ethos of emotional honesty. It's very hard to come into contact with ourselves sometimes. There seems to be things that not only we don't know, but we might not necessarily want to know uh, about ourselves. And that's an, another concept of defense. But I think one of the values, again, being that, that honesty is that over time in this therapy, the things that might appear frightening to us though, that we could that might be giving rise to our symptoms as we feel safer and safer within ourselves that what was maybe scary can be understood and observed um, I, I don't know if i fully answered your question. no that's actually a perfect question to that to feel safer within ourselves some people i do especially if there's a history of trauma and things like that just being in with sitting in their emotions or sitting within themselves can feel very unsafe. So I think that's a great way of how you just described it to help someone kind of lead themselves to just feeling safer within. Yeah. And maybe I, I could give a case illustration. I think it's of, of what that might look like in a therapy process if, if you wanted. You know, yeah, go ahead, dude. Let's throw that out there. Yeah. So let me think uh, off the top of my head kind of what that might look like, or if a, a patient is coming into therapy, we might start by doing a dynamic therapy, by getting kind of a shared understanding of why he's, why he's here and what he wants to figure out. And as usual, and what most clinicians will say is there's a mixture, and this patient has a mixture of depressive and anxious symptoms, maybe outside of his career. He has had success. He's had successful within his career, but recently, 
he's had a mixture of depressive and anxious symptoms. He hasn't been able to go to work, let alone socialize with others. And the content of our sessions might kind of bring a notice into that. We notice the suspicion, but also in the course of therapy, maybe I noticed that my attempts to understand and know him, reflect back to him, don't really seem to land with him. In fact, something happens, something different happens is I can't quite reach him in the way that it, it looks as if he feels truly understood. And he comes in one day and he tells me about a conversation that he had with a colleague at work in which he left that feeling kind of incredibly anxious. Um, he was offered a promotion, let's say, and he can't shake this anxiety that he has about that. So I bring it into the room. I say, I notice when I try to capture something that seems very important to you, such as this feeling that you're describing to me right now, the fear and frightened state that you're left with. You agree with me that you're frightened, but also it seems to shrink. There's a moving away from that conversation. It's as if the more I get closer to you, the further away you seem at the same time. Uh, maybe help me see, is this something you also notice? Uh, what could be playing out between me and you right here, hmm. right now? So it's about the relationship between you as a therapist and this client of what's this What's the therapeutic dynamic going on right now with the right. relationship? Yeah, and that and that question can have infinite amount of answers. But hopefully if we're doing therapy right, if we feel safe in this, if we don't come at it with this uh, radical interpretation, if this patient has room to really meet that and the therapist has done their job to provide that both tactfully and securely, we might come to find something about that. It could be his agreement with me as his a needing to, you know, him saying, you know, I agree with you, but then we move away. It's as if his agreement keeps me at a distance. Maybe there's something about that. And, and so we kind of further untangle that. We further go into that. Maybe this is a, another psychoanalytic principle is that his agreement could be a defense. It could be something mm -hmm. that he was not fully aware of. Or maybe he notices that for the first time, but we have a better understanding. And it's not a me saying this is what it is, but it's continuously inviting the patient to observe with you and what's going on between you. Agreement might be there for good reason. That might be right. something that he does. And there's a number of different reactions patients can have. They might respond to anger when you empathize with them. They might recoil. They might do a number of different things, that, but in psychodynamic therapy, we don't see that as an obstacle, but rather a window into better understanding themselves. And also how maybe if <laughs> it's entirely possible that I could be responding to a patient in a way that is activating something within them, something that maybe there is good reason for them to be suspicious of my behavior. Uh, okay. So that again, going back to that radical honesty is uh, both patient and therapist view that together. Can you give us some other specific strategies? That's a, I was reading a book by 
Nancy McWilliams, another dynamic therapist who, who really writes well, but she had a quip in there that says, you know, the great thing about dynamic therapy is you both ne never know if you're doing it. I think the biggest thing with dynamic therapy, again, is we don't place on our patients a, a protocol. And that is a technique in of itself. It's always about what is presently on your mind. There's an old technique of free associating, which actually is a hard thing to do. And it can you tell what I know what it is, but for those who might not know what free association is, can you tell us a little bit about that? It's a it's an exercise where you go to your mind and say, regardless of how incidental or ridiculous things seem, that it's whatever comes to your mind. And you share that as things are coming to your mind, you share that out loud and we might begin to draw connections where there was no connections there before. So that's a specific technique that is sometimes used and, and sometimes not. But at the ethos of this therapy is always a growing comfortability with whatever might be on your mind is shared in the is shared in a way that we can begin to mutually explore it. Free association is a technique and, and I encourage people to try it sometime. It's really hard to get to a place to, to be able to do that, but it can be a very valuable asset. To give a further example of this, and I'm thinking of it from the point of view of a word, maybe a list of words that the therapist is giving to a client, like mother, flower, maybe a list, and then they're just free associating what comes to their mind when, you know, mother, things like that. Is that a good example? That There's no wrong example. Fair that, point. Fair yeah, point. in that, in that it might be connected to what we've been talking about. Yeah. It might mm -hmm. be to other things. And I don't think that we don't walk into therapy immediately able to do that. I think that most of my experiences with people being able to get to that place where we're freely associating things is after a while of really good trust has been built. And it's, mm -hmm. again, it's mutually exploring that together. I, I think I keep emphasizing that because I think the, another critique to go back to earlier, what you're saying is I think in the beginning of psychoanalytic the birth of that and its transition to the dynamic therapy is that these theories were, I think a lot of that has to do with Freud being a physician and wanting to operationalize with this, this type of science. And there's a movement away from that. I think that we recognize the complexity of people and what they bring. Now, I know we talked a little bit previously about transference, but can you tell us more about how it's utilized in dynamic therapy? Again, through that observation, it might also be something that the therapist themselves notices. The transference, and there's another term, is that the countertransferences are reactions, both good or bad, to the patient, and how that can be used to understand one ourselves and, and the patient. So the transference, and again, much like I might not say unconscious, <laughs> To a patient, it's very rare that I say, "Oh, what's happening here is a transference," uh, <laughs> and I might say, "I noticed that there's something in here with us today. Maybe you're a little bit, a little. I noticed some anger, and we might start from there. It might be a positive transference. It might be a negative transference. It might be a number of different things that we again analyze. It's the feelings again that are being placed." 
into the campus, good or bad. I think another concept that I want to do justice to here when we're talking about dynamic therapy is this idea of defense, defense mechanisms, which are really just the various ways that we seek to cope with something that's either externally uh, stressful or internally stressful. Any thought or feeling can be used to defend against another. We might displace feelings. We might go otherwise angry at something at work and only to displace that onto our loved ones at home. We might find ourselves finding something unacceptable about something, some part of us. We'd rather put that into someone else. So I think a lot of people are familiar with the idea of projection. Yeah, projection. Yeah. We might keep ourselves busy by doing and doing as a way to uh, avoid something else. So I think a, a defense is, is a, a verb that, that means to, to cope, really, to mm-hmm. move forward. And I think that our defenses can either be helpful for us in the case of there's an idea that a defense is either something that is internal or does this defense separate us further from others? I think that if we rely on projection, you can be sure that that's going to, to play out in our relationships if we solely use that as a way of defending against something. So there's a number of different defenses that we can use. They're not good or bad. They on. just are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Any other takeaways you'd like to share? I think it's important to, to note that the thing about talk therapy is there's so many different approaches and there's so yeah. many different ways of doing this thing that, that, that helps. And so I really encourage people to find a therapist that they feel safe with, that they feel comfortable mm-hmm. with. And I think uh, it's always important for people is like, did I go to therapy and did I, is there something that I brought away from that experience that I didn't have before? I think in today's world, it's becoming more and more important that we have good trained therapists, that we have a healthy understanding of, of these concepts. And I think it's important to let patients know that this is for them and right. this that they, um, so they should feel free and being able to choose the therapy that, that works best for them. Yeah. Right. That's what's most important for sure. My gosh, thank you, Jared. Thank you for sharing your knowledge on psychodynamic therapy. I think we have, we're going to have many listeners who are going to be like, wow, this is a thing. I didn't realize there's this, again, as I mentioned, when we were first starting, most people have heard cognitive behavioral therapy or even gestalt therapy, things like that. But I, I think this is an approach that very much has so much research behind it that could be so helpful. So thank you again for sharing your knowledge on this approach. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. Welcome. I'm always glad to, to talk about it. I would also like to thank the team behind the podcast, Jason Clayton, Chris Kelman, and Juliana Whitten. Take care, everyone.